the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. So, you know, there's so much comfort we can bring through the Lord to individuals that definitely are going to need it. Um, we'll probably, you'll be hearing of families and relations that, you know, for days and weeks maybe that uh, are related in some way. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. And God can certainly bring beauty from ashes in this. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Uh, they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste in the cities and desolations of many generations. And Jesus not only can do it, he wants to do it. Uh, not for us, he's done it in our lives personally. But I'd like to share this morning <clears throat> something that Jesus taught uh, that these things do happen. It's interesting, in the scriptures, uh, he brought something forward just that we saw in the last few days, the tragedy. So if you would, turn to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at Christ's, uh, actually it's a warning and an encouragement, then tremendous promises for those who put their trust in him. And then we're going to finish with the text where Paul gives the assurance to us of what Jesus said. So uh, the word of God is so wonderful, especially when we have times like this. And I want to pray, make sure that I'm faithful to the Lord and what he wants me to share out of this. Because if he doesn't anoint with the Spirit, it's just some old dude standing here talking, wasting your time. So we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you know every single person, Lord, involved in this thing. You knew them before the foundation of the world, just as you knew us. And you're a God of love and grace and mercy. And we ask, Lord, now that you'd work mightily and bring beauty from ashes in this situation. And I ask you, dear Father, to keep me faithful to yield to the Spirit of God in what he wants to say. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing we know who are born again and have life in Christ is they're all alive. Every person that they pull from that rubble, they're alive somewhere. And they're either in one place or the other. It's either heaven or hell for eternity. This life down here is very short-lived. And you're all living in a temporary house. Uh, just the, when you go to the Mideast, you, you see the Bedouins, and they live in tents, and they move about. And tents are made of skin. And that's exactly, you're living in some skin in a temporary tent. Your spirit and your soul is going to live forever. And the tragedy of this is, and the wonderful hope, we don't know who knew Jesus Christ who didn't, but either one, either side, they're, they're all living eternally right now somewhere, forever, either in God's presence or out of God's presence. And see, that's why Jesus came. He was so concerned about that. He came to his people, and here was the tragedy of his people. They were living on tradition. They had no idea, you see, that Jesus was God, manifest in the flesh. And so they were rejecting Jesus Christ. He was coming to bring people to the Father to heal all the broken lives and correct things. He came not to judge or to damn, but to save. And they were rejecting him. They said, well, we, we, we believe in God. That was the, the normal response. We believe in God. We don't need you, Jesus. And he was trying to get through to them that he was the representative. He's the one that brought everyone to God. He's the Messiah. He's the one who took you know, the sin upon himself. He's going to do it for them all. And he had a very difficult time because they were all living for the temporal life, for the moment. 
You see, they had no really, they never meditated or even thought about eternity or whether, when they were going to die or how they would die or if there'd be uh, something, you know, abrupt in their own lives. And they had really become scientifically, so to speak, advanced and, and very proficient in seeing the future in temporal things. But see, they had no idea what their nation was facing. The tragedy was they were sinking in immoral filth and becoming violent. And alcoholism was one of the plagues because of the imbibing of wine. They, they couldn't just drink the sweet wine that had a little fermentation. They had to get it stronger and stronger and stronger. And finally, you see, they had such needs. They were so emotionally battered that they were putting drugs in their drinks. They were actually putting alcohol in their fruit juices. They were anything just to, I don't want to face reality. But they all said, well, because we have the Bible and God formed our nation, we're the ones that know the truth, we believe in God, we're going to go to heaven. And see, they, they had no idea of the error of their thinking. And so Jesus purposely is trying to reach them, reach them, and using the power of the Holy Spirit to convict their hearts that they'd say, and finally realize, I'm hearing something about myself. And ignoring that God's love was doing it for their conscience, for their heart. Because God did want them to have eternal life. That going to a church or going to their synagogues and keeping the feast days and all the holy days on the Temple Mount, just because they were Jewish, they say that had nothing to do. That would never get them to heaven because their hearts weren't behind it. It was tradition. This is our religion. We're the, that's, this is our nation and our religion. And Christ was so concerned. And so he's got the group of people following him. He's offering, he's offering, he's offering, describing the glory of heaven, the beauty of heaven, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the need for God. And they were rejecting him. So if you look at verse, let's see, in chapter 12, verse 54, we'll start there, and we're going to go right into a few verses of chapter 13. And it's interesting how Jesus is trying to reach them. Notice in verse 54 of Luke 12, he said also to the people, and it's always, he was always trying to in some way get to the Temple Mount, you know, or their synagogues where they were all teaching and supposedly hearing about God from the priests. But they weren't hearing about God from the priests. It was all being substituted with tradition. And ritual. And so they had no concept of what was coming on their nation. They could not believe. And Jesus knew, because he is God, that their nation is going to be totally destroyed within their lifetime. They couldn't conceive of it. They weren't even concerned about it. So he said to the people, <clears throat> When you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say, There cometh a shower. So it is. When you see the south wind blow, you say, oh, there will be heat, and it cometh to pass. In other words, you're very proficient in projecting the weather. You, you're, you got, you're very scientifically advanced to know what the weather's going to be in the next few days, the next few weeks, and so you can plan your life according to the weather, but you're not going even thinking about planning your eternal life when you're out of this body. You see, what was happening, they were all into the temporal. No concept whatsoever about heaven or what it is, or maybe even a desire to go there. They weren't even thinking about dying. That one day, you see, they're going to have to face God. Everybody here, myself, all of us, we're going to stand before God, either in Christ or out of Christ. And no one's going to get to heaven because they come to Calvary Chapel or because you're raised Catholic, or Methodist, or Presbyterian. You're going to get to heaven because you know Christ. Christ is in you, and you're in Christ, and you've been born again. And then you're assured. And see, that's what Jesus was trying to get through to these people. They were under the idea, oh, if I say I believe in God. And you see that portrayed on television so often. Uh, my heart, my heart... Sometimes it's just Jesus, so if they only knew. 
And you see the tragedy of maybe some gangbanger or drug dealer. He's, he's got five illegitimate kids by five different girls. He's dealing drugs, but he gets taken down and he's shot four times dead. And then after it's all over, they catch the people that did it, right? Thank God for the police. Thank you, Jesus, for police. Thank you, Jesus. And so they put them away, and then it shows the family, heartbroken, all gathered together in a park somewhere, and they're all talking about what a beautiful son he was, and all, and maybe he was, and they let the balloons all go up, and say, we know he's up there looking down on us. And it's a falsehood. It's an absolute false hope. It's painful. And that's why Jesus is trying to get through these people. You've become experts in you know, prognosticating the future, maybe the stock market, the economy, weather, everything with the temporal. You have no idea what's coming or what could happen, and you're not ready for it. And you're going to stand before God. And so he says, you hypocrites. In other words, you're active. You go to your regular places of worship, and you say you believe in God, and there's nothing in the heart or you wouldn't be doing secretly what you're doing to try and enjoy life or hope that the wife doesn't find out or the husband or the children or the parents. You're actors. You can discern the face of the sky and the earth. You've got, a, you've got an MA in, in weather. You're skilled in prognosticating the weather. But how is it that you do not discern this time? You don't even know where your nation is headed and how close to the end you are. So they couldn't conceive it. They'd never been destroyed before. They've been attacked. They've had other nations, you know, and had a few wars, but they'd never been destroyed. And since they're the people of the Bible and God formed their nation, it's never going to happen to us. And it was on its way. It's coming down the road right at them. Yea, why even of your own selves judge you not what is right. You're expert. You have great universities. You've got a great education. But you're making all the evil good now. You've got sodomy everywhere. Pornography, murder, rape, drugs, alcoholism, Broken homes. Children growing up knowing, knowing who their daddy is or their mommy. And you're not even, you're, you're not judging correctly. You're more concerned about the economy and the moral crisis that you're in and what you're facing personally. See, he was pleading with them. That's why he came, not to condemn the world but to redeem the world. But you see, you can't be helped until you face the truth. And some of the, the most difficult thing sometimes is to be somewhere and all of a sudden I'm hearing the truth about myself. What kind of a mother I am, what kind of a father I am, what kind of a husband I am, a wife, a teenage son or daughter. I'm hearing about myself. And see, that's the Holy Spirit trying to reach the conscience saying, Christ can fix it. Jesus came to fix it. You don't have to cover up and fake things anymore. You don't have to live in the shadows. Christ has come to make you free. So he's saying, when you go with thine adversary to the magistrate as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him lest he hail thee to the judge, the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into the prison. You see, he was afraid they'd keep rejecting him, rejecting him, rejecting them, <clears throat> and eventually, you see, they would be standing before God, and that's it, it's over. You're either saved or you're unsaved when you get to that point. It's over. And he says, I tell you, thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid 
the very last mite. In other words, and you can't pay the last mite when you're incarcerated. You can't earn anything to pay and buy yourself out. The only thing that can see free you from the prison of my sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. He's about to shed it all for all of them. Just like he did for us. They were present at that season, some that told them of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And now he starts, something comes out, the unexpected that they had never planned for, they couldn't even foresee because it was instantaneous because of hatred toward them. Now remember, they're living under the brutal heel of Rome, and Romans hated Christians and Jews. It was, they hated them. And Pilate, especially the Roman governor, hated them. And evidently something happened, and they were on the Temple Mount or in their synagogue somewhere, worshiping, gathering together in a home, and all of a sudden the Roman police came bursting in and started slaughtering them all, killing them, for no reason whatsoever. Nothing but hate, mingled their blood, killed them all. Kind of like you see. Many times you hear somebody just burst into a church, someone filled with hatred and rage and just starts killing, shooting people randomly, or a shopping mall. No one expects it. But see, we're living in a fallen world. We're, we're in a, a world that's broken. And not everybody has love for their brother. Not everybody really does love and forgive the way we can with Christ. People are angry. And it just happened. All of a sudden, innocent victims just taken out, or like happens in the Mideast so often. And I know people have gone through this because I've been there, where someone would just roll a bomb inside of a service underneath the seats. No one expects it. It's not designed by God. It's just... You see, these people are living in a fallen world. Crisis can happen. Tragedies happen. Unexpected. You can plan your life for the, with the weather, going to the golf course or taking the vacation or going to the, you know, the cottage. But these things, no one expects it. Never happened here. And it does. And he's bringing this to their attention. You're ignoring things. You're ignoring your eternal future. You're only living for the moment. You're only concerned about feeling good, staying healthy and making money and having the kids get an education. And you're just another step closer to standing before Jesus Christ because you don't know what the next doctor's blood test is going to tell you or what the neighbor's going to do. And then they're interviewed, and he seemed like a wonderful man. He always just kind of minded his own business, and we had no idea. That's the world we're living in. And it's like they were ignoring that. So Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that the Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? They didn't, they weren't put to death because they were greater sinners than the people that are asking the questions. We're all sinners. We all need Christ. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall likewise all perish. And the word perisher is speaking eternally, not dying physically in this life. When he says perish, it's eternal separation from God in outer darkness in Gehenna, the lake of fire, forever. That's the word perish, what he's saying. He says, you need to change your mind. You say you believe in God, you need to put your faith in me, in Jesus Christ. He's saying that because he is God manifest in the flesh. It, without them realizing it because they weren't being taught the scriptures or hearing from the priests, they were, just, they were being swept along, going over the cliff in sin like lemmings. 
you know, thinking because they showed up or they believe in the ritual and they like the tradition, and yet down inside they weren't being a living relationship with the living God. And they didn't realize that it's God Almighty that took the sin. I'm going to take the place. I'm going to take the blame for the fall of man. I'll become man, and I'll let man kill me, and I'll conquer death and rise again and give you eternal life and show you that it's real. And they're rejecting it, rejecting it. I don't want to hear this. And especially I don't want to hear about me. I'll go somewhere where I won't hear about me. You see, and there's too many places like that. They don't use the scriptures. They don't use the word of God faithfully. And then he brings out something very interesting. He says, or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but except you have a change of mind and heart toward me, you shall likewise perish. Now, you see, he, Jesus didn't make the tower collapse. It was man-made. Man constructed it with the, with the stone. And you can go right to the spot and stand at the base of the Tower of Siloam. And these stones are four and five and six tons in weight. It was huge. And the pool is huge. Some 50 feet deep in one spot at that time. Because, you see, there was no water up on Mount Zion around the temple area. And so people all came down. You could, right from this day, you can go out of the, the actually the, dung gates and the south steps go down about three quarters of a mile, a steep descent on the street, go right down to the Pool of Siloam. They've uncovered it. The archaeologists have found it. They've excavated it. And see, what they would do every day, just for everyday responsibilities, the women, the men, the children, they'd go down to the Pool of Siloam. They'd have to gather water to bring back up to their homes for cooking, washing, bathing, every day. It's just a normal thing. It's like going to work every day. And so one day, and you see this, there's a huge wall with the embankment pushing the bank away next to the pool, and then you've got this gigantic tower. And so here you have the multitudes of people from Jerusalem, they're down there just going on a normal day. They probably were in the synagogue or the temple the day before. Maybe with friends and had breakfast together, but it's time for the wife to fix the afternoon meal. So she gets the kids or maybe the husband. They go down to the pool to get their water without even knowing and expecting it because it was man-made. And maybe water kept flowing off the Temple Mount with a heavy downpour because the downpours are heavy in Jerusalem and actually water runs on the streets down. It started to loosen some of the ground, and there was a weakness, and then the wall and the tower collapsed. They didn't even know it was coming. And they were all crushed and killed. Not because they were sinners. It was man-made. And they didn't think it was going to happen. Probably the engineers had it all worked out. They inspected it. They, you can go over there to this day, and some of them, the buildings are still standing. They were really pretty good at building things. They knew it was earthquake-proof. But it was man-made. And something happened, and it collapsed and killed people. And they were either in one place or the other. Even though they went to synagogues and the temple because they had no relationship with Christ. And Jesus is, see, he, what he does is he says, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to prepare a place for you that if this happens, you have the guarantee that you're going to be for my father and never have to fear. Christ, you see, in Christ there's all this hope. There's the promise, this marvelous promise that you don't have to fear. God doesn't send these things or do these things. These things, it's man-made. You might have a greedy contractor who cheats on the concrete or cheats on the steel, buys cheap steel. Then they pay off the inspectors. 
the money under the table, and the inspector passes the building. Those things can happen because of the fall of man. God doesn't do that to people. Fallen man is responsible for the problems they have. God doesn't make someone an alcoholic or a drug addict. The people that manufacture the alcohol make the alcoholics. The people that do the drugs, the meth, the coke, the heroin. And to show you how sick a society can get, now meth, heroin, and cocaine is legal in Oregon. And you know what they're going to do? Instead of arresting people, they're going to take the money they make from selling pot to pay to try and help these people in hospitals. That's, you see, remember Jesus said, some of these people you've got to leave them alone. The blind are leading the blind and they're all falling into the ditch. Well, Israel was going down the same path at the same time with this problem. They had no idea where they were going. And that's why Jesus came when he did. Look at the promise he gives. To turn to John chapter 14. <laughs> you know, one of the, I don't know what it is, but see, I live up north where it's nothing but dirt and snow for a long time. I mean, you get to use a pool for maybe three months. <laughs> and then when I get, I have the privilege of being with you guys, I get to come down here and I'm flying in. And you know, you're leaving Rochester, New York, it's gray, it's dark, it's rainy, it's snowing, it's bumpy. And before you're coming down, and man, you start coming in the northern part of you know, Florida, and you start looking down to see the sunshine, the green, and man, then you start coming into Miami, and I look over at this magnificent city, the ocean, I'm thinking, man. I would stop and think, that's man-made. And remember the beauty of Florida, there's the beauty. I, I thought, I'm, what's the Garden of Eden look like? I walked into the front of this place, it's like Jose's got it looking like the Garden of Eden. <laughs> you can't do that where I am. Everything's plastic and concrete. <laughs> but do you realize, do you realize the beauty of Florida and Hawaii and all these marvelous vacation spots are a result of the judgment of the earth at the flood? Do you realize how beautiful it's going to be when Christ restores the earth and fixes everything and straightens it out again? Man. Well, he has a city waiting, too. I like the skylight of Miami. It's just something, it's, with the sunshine, it's beautiful. But there's a city waiting for you and I called the New Jerusalem. Let me tell you something about it. Turn to, now, just look at verse 1. Now, it's, Jesus is, again, he can sense that hearts are troubled. People can sense in the air there's a fear and an uncomfortable. So what is it? There's something doesn't like there's a tension in the atmosphere. Living under this powerful Roman Empire and seeing what the social problems are. And the, and the natural disasters. And the pain of loss of loved ones. And Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Well, see, that means they were troubled. You believe in God. They, they all claim that. Believe also in me. You see, Jesus is God. You got to get beyond that. You can't use that generic term, God. A lot of people in Asia say they believe in God and he's Buddha. A lot of people are deceived by believing God is named Allah. Jesus is God. You believe in God, make sure you believe in me. Make sure Christ is in you and that you're in Christ. You see, if you're in Christ and he's holding you, he's never going to let you go. He's never going to let you go. And then he says, in my father's house are many mansions or places to live in the presence of God Almighty. God the creator God the Father, God who has kept many of you alive that if he hadn't intervened, 
And maybe the doctors call it coincidence or no one can understand how you survived, but God who loves you has kept you alive. That God is waiting for you to live with him eternally after this life. He's got a wonderful place for you to live. No repairs done to your house there. No taxes. Plenty of room. No problems whatsoever. If it were not so, I would have told you. See, Jesus, as Pastor Raz said, Christ is not a liar. Not only does the Bible say he cannot lie, he will not lie. He's, he's going to be faithful to his promise. And there's marvelous promises here. The rest is promises for you. The, the, the beginnings, the exhortation, don't take your future for granted. Don't just put it all into education and weather reports and the stock market. You better get beyond that. That's the most important eternity. Make sure you know about that future, where you're going to be. He said, if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you may be also. But see, there are many of us, like myself, at my age, I, you see, I may meet, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to meet him maybe before the rapture. <laughs> it wouldn't bother me. I mean, I may have to get good food, good Cuban food, I mean. <laughs> and espresso, oh, mama. <laughs> Yeah, two or three of those, and I'll fly back to Rochester. <laughs> I mean, hallelujah. He's promised it. He's coming for you. I will receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. That word receive is a beautiful term. It only, it, it only it's one other place in the New Testament, the, in the Greek. And it really means to intimately bring you into myself, not to reject. You won't be rejected when Christ comes. He's going to come and bring you. It's an intimate term. It's, it's the term used at the rapture. The only other place where this word is used in the Greek, it's translated taken in Matthew and in Luke, where when a rapture takes place, one is taken, not rejected, and the other is left. Two people are working, one's taken, one is left. Two people are sleeping, one is taken, one is left. Two women are grinding, making bread together, one is taken, one is left. You will not be rejected, Jesus says. Where I am, you may be also. And whither I go, you knew not the way. You just don't know what you need to know. And Thomas responded to that. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? How do we know? What are you talking about? Explain it to me. And it's interesting, when, when you do ask Jesus a question, all through the the scriptures, he gives an answer. He answers. And he makes it very simple. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, not one of the ways. And he uses the term that he spoke to Moses in the burning bush in, I am the way. He's I am in human flesh manifested to redeem man, to give his life for all of us. I am the way, indefinite article, not one of the ways. I'm the truth. You can trust it. Jesus will never lie to you. He'll never say anything in the scriptures that does not come to pass or is not true and I'm the life you see many people just exist all you have to do is walk into a store and watch people you know they're just existing paycheck to paycheck going through the motions the routine a marriage that isn't filled with joy and love anymore a work a job 
if I have a job that I don't like but I can't quit because I'll lose my car, my boat, my house. I need the money, but I hate the job. Living from weekend to weekend, they exist. There's life in Christ. There's life. That's what I notice when I come to this church. There's life because of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And a person without the Spirit has not life. You just have existence. Well, I hope next week is better. And then he said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can't, you, you, you see, you can't get to God without Christ. You can't get into God's favor without Christ because God is Christ. Just as easily as he made Adam, he put himself in this little girl's womb. And it was birthed by a human that he created. And he came as a human, as a man, to take the blame for me, for you, for all of mankind. To shed his blood. The perfect sacrifice. It's not money. Money can't redeem. No man comes to the Father but by me. You know, it's interesting, uh, speaking of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, in fact, turn to, turn to Revelation 21. This is what's waiting for us. And you see, we don't know. I haven't the faintest idea, but I, in my heart, my wish and desire, aching desire is that there are many people that are experiencing this right now. They've already experienced it at the collapse of the, the building. Their, their Tower of Siloam. Revelation 21. Look what John sees. Verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> we think things are beautiful. What way do we on the restored earth? Mosquitoes will do nothing but drink flower nectar. <laughs> and you know, the only mosquito that draws blood is the female. That's going to be fixed. <laughs> I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. Speaking, this is a metaphor. The, like the oceans separate the masses of people. And there's the turbulence and the honor. It speaks of the Gentile world that you can't control. It's so dangerous. And you don't know when a killer wave is going to come and to destroy that's all going to be gone. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, where we're going to be living with our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Do you realize how big just the city of Jerusalem is? I'm, I'm giving you a biblical fact here. They have, they have mathematically figured this out. The confines, the city limits, the extent of the city limits of the New Jerusalem only, 20 billion people can live in the confines of the city and each person have his own private 75 acres. Do you have 75 acres? <laughs> Just think, what are you going to do? It's, gonna, it's, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? That's just the city. He's not talking about the outskirts in the restored paradise. <laughs> and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. That's why Jesus came. God created you for his good pleasure. He wants you to know how much he loves you for eternity. Not frantically running around here, self-destructing by the chemicals and the helpers. you got to pump into your lungs, your liver, your brain to try and enjoy an existence. But to enjoy him for eternity. Just think, the pleasure you're going to receive from the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, you never have to worry about a doctor's report after. 
That's what he created you for, to spend eternity with him. And notice what he's going to do. It says, they shall be his people, God himself shall be with them, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. The, the, I don't know who they are, none of us know, no one knows, but whoever they were that knew Christ, that's the first thing, when they opened their eyes. Like King David said in Psalm 17, the last verse, I know, Lord, when I awake, I shall be in thy likeness. They're in the presence of Jesus. And he's there personally to take the tears away from all the pain down here. 10 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. There shall be no more death. As the Bible says, Jesus said this from the cross, your heart shall live forever. Your heart shall live forever. There's going to be no more sorrow or crying. Someone here, you were crying already this morning with a pain that's deeper than physical. No more crying. No more pain, whether it's physical or emotional. All the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. For all of us. He said unto me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. Now, I'm going to close with this. If you would, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul had just taught the rapture of the church and people standing before God. And again, for us, it's a bema seat for re reward and the wiping away of tears. And others, it's for something different. But he says in verse 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Now see, this is a healthy church. They've been taught the coming of the Lord. They've been taught about Jesus Christ. And Paul's acknowledging it to this church. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. In other words, when, when that's time to stand before Christ or when he does come for the church at the rapture, it's going to be instantaneous and no one's going to be ready for it. They won't be looking for it. They don't, first, they, they don't believe it, but they believe in God. They haven't been taught it or heard about it. But, but this church, these people, they know. It's going to catch people off guard. No one's expecting the crisis or the catastrophe when it happens. Nobody's expecting it. That's why it's so painful. You can't prepare for it. And look at verse 3, what he says. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction upon them as travail upon a woman with child, they shall not escape. And you just, you know, just take myself I'm, or some businessman, some people, they don't know Christ. They believe in God. They go to a church. They go to a synagogue. They claim a denomination. But they're not born again. They're not in Christ. Christ is not in them. And it's maybe they've just had a wonderful time with some friends. They've been out and had a nice dinner, had some cocktails together, good friends. He couldn't wait to, to share with his friends while they're having dinner that 
man, the doctor's report came back. He's, he doesn't have diabetes anymore. The, his cholesterol's down. He got a, another person there. Said, you know, I just, man, things are so really good. I, I just, my broker just called me, and the stock has just skyrocketed. I, you know, things are good. I have no debt. I got well, money in the bank. So they go to bed. Peace and safety. Things are good. And the Tower of Siloam collapses when they're asleep. Then he says, now you brethren, you that are real believers, you brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Because you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you're always ready. You are all the children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night, or sleep, sleep in the night, they that be drunken are drunken in the night. They try to sleep it off so they can get to work the next day. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith, faith in Christ. My faith is in Christ. Yes, I believe in God, but my faith is in Christ who is God. And love, that's an agape love, unconditional love, forgiving love, kind love, peaceful love, clean love. Pure love. Love for children. A love to be with my children. A love to be with my parents. That's what love does. It, it knits a family together in beauty and love. And it's a helmet, the hope of salvation. It's, it's a living hope. It's a hope I know. That protects the mind from paranoia, fear, stress, anxiety. What if? What could be? I don't know. I know the weather. I know it's going to be Monday and Tuesday. And then Paul goes on to assure and bring the truth of Christ's promise. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at the promise, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. No matter what happens, whether you're awake and it's sudden and unexpected, or you're asleep, it's sudden and unexpected, you don't have to worry about wrath. You're in the presence of God because of Jesus Christ and his love forever and ever and ever and ever. And the first thing he's going to do is wipe away tears. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more broken hearts. And look what he tells us. And again, I just... what. Pastor Raz shared the beauty of a healthy church like this that fellowships together, that it has things happening together, and the love of Christ, the agape love, the unconditional forgiving love that Christ gives us. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify or build each other up, edify one another, even as also you do. Just the, the fellowship and the encouragement, the love, the prayer for each other. That's the most important thing, the love of Christ. After you meet Christ, he starts putting that in your heart. 
And one of the most wonderful things is to want to forgive. It's a difficult thing outside of Christ. It can damage a person forever. Unforgiveness. Their unforgiveness doesn't let them forget. And 10 years, 15, 20 years later, all they have to do is hear music that reminds them of that day 10 years earlier, and it happens to them all over again. Or they see somebody that looks like that person, it happens to them all over again because they've never been able to forgive. And you know what happens when you forgive? Just as God said, your sins and your iniquities because you're in Christ, I will remember no more. You forget. And because of the age, you see, that we're living in, and forgiveness is important. People are just angry. One of the signs of the end is inhumanity, a loss of natural affection, violence, cruelty. And see, it could reach our address in some way. And it's imperative that we forgive, that we get healed. We don't let it destroy us. Only Christ can do that the right way. <laughs> so, go to sleep tonight and relax. <laughs> I'll see you up there. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful hope? Isn't that fantastic? And continue to pray. I mean, it's a painful thing. There's going to be pain, especially people don't have Christ to turn to. All they have is human beings, human beings with trying their best to heal the hurt and the pain. Sociologists, psychologists, psychiatrists. I can understand that with man. But Christ can do so much better. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how thankful we are that Jesus Christ has come. And we need not fear, as others do, Lord. We, we can say peace and safety and sleep and know, Lord, that whatever will wake in your presence. And no matter what we've experienced in this life, Lord, how painful, how sorrowful, you're going to wipe that all away, our tears. Lay your hand on our shoulder and tell us how much you love us and how you care for us and how faithful you are as a husband, as a man, as a father, as a redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>